right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Simply Cyber Live. I am your host, Dr. Gerald Osier, and every Thursday we welcome in industry guests, including you. Let me bring on chat. Where are you, chat? There we go. We bring in industry guests to talk about different aspects of the cybersecurity industry, and today we've got a special one. Regular uh, community member of the Simply Cyber community, also a mod, also throwing hundreds, I'm talking hundreds of squad subs in the daily cyber threat briefing this morning and on Tuesday morning, Eric Taylor from Barricade Cyber Solutions. So we're going to bring Eric on today and what you can expect from the next hour is going to be awesome. You can expect to talk or hear Eric talk about his experiences interfacing directly with ransomware threat actors. Eric runs Barricade Cyber Solutions, which does a whole host of defensive information security uh, practices for businesses. But one key thing that he does is incident response in ransomware in incidents. So a ransomware hits whatever, uh, whatever company, right? I don't, it doesn't matter if it's Joe Belton's ice cream shop or if it's a you know community bank or it doesn't matter, gets hit. They call Eric, Eric comes in, helps them, you know, control the damage done, but then he talks to the threat actors, he negotiates with them, and he's talked to a whole host of different ones. So today, we're going to understand what it's like to talk to those threat actors, what are the uh, machinations of it, and what are the things that gets Eric all hot and bothered in a spicy way, not in a sensual way. So we're going to have a good stream. Uh, Stay with us. If you have any questions, feel free to throw them in chat. Uh, I'm going to let Eric do most of the talking today, uh, but uh, it will be a fun show, and I hope you get some value out of it. So let's just bring Eric right on really quickly. Hey, Eric, how you doing? What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thanks for having me back, Jerry. Hope you're doing good. Yeah, absolutely, man. Looking looking forward to the hot and heavy. So uh, I do want to say a shout out and, and uh, to all the squad members. I see you all queuing up in chat. Aaron, Casually Joseph from uh, Barricade, Joshua Allen. So, Eric. Yo. How many threat actors have you talked to? Roughly, ballpark I'd, figure. I'd probably say over 75 different ones. Have you ever talked to the same one twice? Like, have you? Oh, or, yeah, many times. So you know, there, what's that relationship of, like? That's so weird to me. So there, there is a, a mindset in DFIR where some companies will actually advertise to the threat actors who they are right from the gate and say, Hey, this is, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do it anyway. Cause you know, we're, are going to get spicy. So there's pr- companies like monster cloud and proven data that are known for doing this shady ass crap where am I allowed to say that? Or do I need a buzzer? Yeah, I'm well, sorry. I mean, uh, it's I won't go too far than that. I won't go too okay, far. Than okay. that. I'll try to keep it down, but, um, they do some really shady stuff where they will go to that threat actor and be like, Hey, we are, my name is, Joe from Joe Belton's ice cream shop since we're going to mention that. And we are a DFIR firm and what is your best price and things of that nature. But here at Barricade, we definitely do, we do a complete anonymous type of transaction, right? So we act as the, Ooh, that's, I'm trying a new look, Eric. Gonna, I'm trying a new look. Chad, let me know if you like this look better. I, 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 we're filling the screen out, but please continue. So we got, so we take a completely autonomous where we completely make up complete profiles. We actually do a little bit of backtracking because, uh, um, or backfilling of that profile online, just because we've had a couple of threat actors before, um, like hive and, uh, Conti and stuff like that. We'll try to figure out exactly who you are a little bit, um, to prove your identity. Uh, they haven't never gone as far as, you know, wanting, you know, you know, pay stubs or anything like that. But some of the bigger ones will try to, 
you know, if they get a little suspicious about some of your communication. So we always take it from a personal level. We try to pretend like we are the victim that it has been impacted when we're doing those negotiations. And we always talk as we're, you know, the C level of it. So no, Wait. the threat actors never know that it's us unless you follow my Twitter. And, you know, we had a real funny one a couple months, maybe about a month ago now that, you know, we kind of closed that case out where the world cup was getting kicked off or whatever. And the main boss guy that was, uh, that pretty much sets the price and does the, uh, decryptions and stuff like that. He was too busy watching the effing world cup to deal with the, the case at hand. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, Lane, was a fun one. Lane wants to know like what, 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 how are you communicating with them? Is it, did they call you on the phone? Have you ever spoke to them on the phone? Telegram, dark web forums. It really depends on the threat actor. So the more sophisticated threat actors do have an Onion dark website. Um, I would say middle of the road, they do have some uh, telegrams. A lot of the bottom run people, they do have like a Gmail or a Proton Mail or some of the other uh, anonymous type of webmail systems. Um, and once I get done with my case, we there was a group not too long ago, about a, earlier this year called the Stop Ransomware Group. And I literally stopped them in their tracks because I flooded AOL's abuse policy. Like they they were literally going out and they've been operating like this for over a year. And I'm like, I'm done with you. I'm completely shutting you down. I, what are you talking about? What do you what do you mean? So they their primary course of communication was through AOL. So the, it, yeah. it blows my mind that AOL is still around. Like like AIM bought. Like, mm -hmm. like in AOL, were you like, Hey, threat actor, ASL, like to, <laughs> to, date, <laughs> to date myself here. Oh my God, dude. I, that would be funny. That'd be funny as I'll get out. Um, but yeah, most of the time you're, you're communicating with the customer service side of things. Um, you know, I'd say organization very loosely, but you know, a lot of times they're ransomware as a service. So it's a third party that's actually penetrated your environment. You know, so the customer service and the management have to deal with the third party people, you know, do the ransomware service freelancers get the decryption code before, like we've seen with the Conti leaks and things of that nature. So it really depends on the individual threat actor, exactly how things play out. Hmm. That's interesting. So now from, from a talking, we're talking with Eric Taylor right now about talking to threat actors in ransomware uh, active incidents. When you're talking to them, have you ever, like, do they ever give up? Like, are they like, oh, this is just like, you guys are too difficult a victim to deal with? Or are they, you know, are they really, really nice and, and over the top with you? Like the way that I've heard it, it, it referenced that they are very, very kind and very nice. It, it really depends on the case by case scenario. Um, you know, some of them do get downright belligerent. And then I go, I mean, it depends on how important the data really is you know part every last one of our engagements the communication is always part of it so if it's one of those things that the customer is not really worried about the uh, actually getting a decryptor and never has any intention of ever paying we're literally just drawing it out as part of our engagement to um, extend the time from notification so they have a time so okay here's a little dfir insider depending on the type of organization that you have you could have legal that's involved as you're doing an assessment to, uh, uh, note, to figure out the full impact of the data that was impacted, things of that nature. Sometimes we do a proof of concept when we're talking to the threat actor saying, you know, show me what exactly files that you have. 
things of that nature. And we're doing that threat assessment to say, okay, what do they have? So we're you know trying to figure out where that is in the network, things of that nature. So sometimes we're trying to extend that conversation to know who we got to notify for a potential breach and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, it's it's all over the place. I think I totally forgot what your original question was. Sorry about that. No, no, no. It, it was it was whether or not like the threat actors are really nice or really mean, and and, and it really what, depends what they do. It really hmm. depends on how salty I get with them. I don't ever get over spicy with them, unless it's right toward the end and the customer is not going to pay, and then I just go full spice rage mode on them. So I was listening to Darknet Diaries, and they did an episode on R Evil. Uh, very interesting episode. And they were talking about ransomware threat actors, and he actually had a recording. And I, I'm curious if you've seen this or heard this or what stories you might have about it. It was a recording where the threat actor basically called uh, and left a voicemail for you know the CEO or whatever, and was like, "Listen, you know I've got your data. I'm going to release it. I'm going like you're you're going to go out of business. Like is, it's not worth like basically trying to like do psychological operations on." Yep the CEO to manipulate them and, and draw fear out uh, to do yep. that. So, you know, what kind of like, have you seen that? And if, yes. and if so, like what other techniques have you seen the threat actors do in order to kind of, you know, leverage um, the situation? So, yeah, a lot of the bigger threat actors will, they, you know, when you see like them, the news coming out that they pot, you know, whoever, Sony, um, Kaseya or whatever, you know, they actually did the, um, you know, they actually do their homework on who they've actually just impacted their, the network on. And, you know, they will, you know, if they don't think that they're getting communication and, you know, if it's slow for them, you know, their profit margin, if you will, is down for the month, they will start calling the C level of the organization that was uh, compromised. And they will also start digging through the files. If they did data exfiltration of all the competitors are like, Hey, I just popped the ice cream shop down the, the street and I got their recipe, you know, $10,000 and it's yours type of thing, right? So yeah. It's, it's a very, um, it, it's definitely a tactic that they do to try to uh, make money. Give me one second here. I'm sorry. So it looks like chat has broke, um, uh -oh. as, as, but I've pulled up YouTube chat now. Uh, so we are, we are good. You won't be able to see the chat on the stream, Eric, but I'll continue to... Um, I'll pull field, it up myself as well. Field questions to you. Okay, that's good. I, I don't know why it broke, but uh, I see you now, chat. Okay, at least on YouTube. Um, there we go. So, all right. Have you noticed, I'm curious, have you noticed like with basically crypto's value going down, do the threat actors just adjust the amount of crypto they ask for so that they're still getting the same USD equivalent in their ransoms? Or have you seen ransoms go down because of recession and inflation? Like, I guess that's the question. Has re how has recession and inflation affected threat actor operations? It's impacted it a lot. So, um, I mean, they're still going to be very active. They still want the overall money to come into their organization. But, you know, definitely the price of the or the the amount of crypto that they want, whatever the currency is, is ultimately the goal of the price point that they want. So, you know, if their goal is $20,000 for a particular victim, you know, it could have been 0.7, 0.8 of a Bitcoin, but you know, now it's, 
1.75 or whatever the current price is and that's another thing that we always have to be uh curious about is when crypto is you know fluctuating so much that we're actually paying the proper amount so that way they get their full amount otherwise you know crypto's going up or down or whatever the case is and you don't pay that proper amount to get your decryptor you can end up spending you know two or three transactions and spending even more money in that transaction fees to get your decryptor than the first time if you're not paying attention oh my god that sucks it also makes me think um i had heard um that some businesses this was more around 2020 but some businesses were okay so bitcoin and all crypto went skyrocketing it went up to like 60 70 thousand of bitcoin a couple years ago right so some businesses i know purchased a a ton of bitcoin Mm -hmm. because they're like oh my god like we're gonna if it's it's an insurance policy and if we buy it now it's going to continue to go up so then you know we won't have to buy the bitcoin uh, at a higher price in order to pay for a ransom just in case. So they were like basically like holding assets in order yeah. as an insurance policy. And now those things have gone way, way down. So it makes me wonder how many businesses um, are actually taking like revenue losses because of this mm-hmm. depreciated asset. And they're not even in the business of like maintain, of like holding currency. You know what I mean? They're not like yeah. a, f- a financial services company or anything like that. So real yeah, not to get into too much um, mm-hmm. secret sauce, if you will. But yeah, we were heavily impacted by that as well because you know we would have a you know so much dollar or so much currency or so many dollars of a, a certain type of currency. You know when a lot of threat actors were wanting Monero and they were wanting this and they were wanting that, we always try to keep a minimum amount because it's hard to, as all get out to do a wire transfer to a private broker to get that stuff on the weekend. It's not going to happen. So yes, yeah, it's like a large amount too, right? Exactly. So, you know, we always had to, we always had to keep that stuff on hand. So, um, until recently, you know, we would have to keep pumping that, that money in but yeah, I mean, I know myself and several other large companies, I'll just throw one out there like Coveware who does a lot, a lot of stuff like multi-million dollar, you know, cryptocurrency transactions per year. They had to do the same thing as well, where they were just pumping in and pumping in and, you know, I actually found it and they, you know, everybody's kind of adopting this new me- methodology a little bit. So I love it. I'm chat. I got your back here. Look at this chat. I got, <laughs> I got you chat. All right. I'll share, I'll share my screen with you chat. I- I'm here with you. Okay. There we go. So it's a little janky. It's a little janky, Eric, but we're going to make it work. Um, okay. Adapt and overcome. That's right, buddy. Chat. You're back. Welcome back to the stream chat. Um, and you can use your squad emotes. Um, okay, so check it out. Uh, you guys are going to see me scroll on this, though. I, I, there was a couple of questions. Midori K wanted to know, what sort of qualifications do you need, I guess, to, to, to do incident response for ransomware? And I might add, talking to threat actors. To be honest with you, there's no verification process at all when you're running DFIR. There, there really isn't, you know. Those who are in the chat, if you ever did a pen test, has anybody ever asked you if you've got any certifications or degrees or anything in that? No, there's not. I mean, we, as part of our sales pitch, when we're talking to new prospects, we tell them we are SANS uh, accredited and we are GIAC certified, which is the certification body for SANS Institute is the GIAC. Um, So not many co- other companies have that out there. 
um but some do but yeah we, we try to make sure that they are well armed with the information because they're there's probably in quite there's probably maybe five or seven good dfir firms and then there's you know me and casually joseph was actually talking about this earlier it's like but then you got a whole mess of people be like uh, yeah i i can do that you know and it's it just i can't carl! tell you how many times yeah carl <laughs> thanks carl um that will we'll literally get calls you know we've got two or three yeah we got two prospects right now that uh dfr cases went horribly wrong like two years ago they mm -hmm. still have encrypted files and they want to know if we can get get the threat actors back to the table to start negotiations. oh my god yeah i mean in that situation is there any hope of connecting getting connected to the threat actors a good experienced dfir firm can it's hard but you could get them if you know the right channels you can get them back involved wow very interesting very interesting how have you had any experience using some of the uh decryptors you know like uh so threat actor sends you a decryptor i mean is it is it just point and click or like it, walk me through because i've never really thought about it but like walk me through what the decryptor looks like so you paid me the ransom here's your decryptor is it a single file is it a collection of files like what's the decryptor look like so oh god here we go um hive ransomware decryptor uses four files they've got two keys that are sitting on each drive that are used in unison to help decrypt the files once you've made it or once you've got it um theirs is a big lengthy process there are some ransomware groups that will use what's called a answer key a request and answer key so they'll give you a what's called a like a, a master decryptor if you will it's a program and you say you, there's like literally two buttons it looks like it's built in uh visual basic and it <laughs> probably was where you click on analyze files it'll scan your entire folder and it'll give you a big freaking string you send that off they give you the answer file back you put that in and then it goes in and searches and um, unencrypts those files um some of them are completely automated like re-evil and some of the other ones where they've already got the decryptor up there ready for you as soon as your transaction is processed through the cryptocurrency you can download it right now and start your decryption process for the ids because a lot of times you're you'll have like an id inside of your readme file or your uh your encrypted files things of that nature and uh they they already have that stuff put together so it's uh as much as you know these are threat actors they are criminals they're they're well old criminal if you will so um so and there's some of them that just don't work either and that's the other part of being on this thing you know you you got to be able to make sure that these threat actors are able to decrypt the files right so well two things one do you have to run the decryptor on every single computer like do you have to touch mm -hmm. every computer typically there are a couple of tricks to get around that but it, it can be very painful and not mm. it's not all the cryptos run at the same speed where some of the more high name threat actors you know hive conti re-evil uh lockbit you know their decryptors are will or machine they're very very they're coded very very well and it will just scroll through and just knock it out and there are a ton of them 
that are very poorly coded. Um, and that's the other side of it as well. We've actually had, even as of three months ago, where the ransomware group will put in a time bomb, those who've been around for a while, time bomb, no, or AKA a scheduled service or scheduled uh, task that will launch and re-download the a new payload variant in three to six months and then reinfect your freaking workstation. So if you're not sandboxing and running analysis on these decryptor files, you're making a huge mistake. Yeah. Massive, well, Eric, massive mistake. Aaron, Aaron just asked in chat, after your data is decrypted, how do you clean the data to make sure that they can't come back? That's when you really need to hire a cybersecurity firm, <coughs> barricade, um, to actually go through that process and secure it. So really, once you got your files decrypted, you're rebuilding your network. Once a computer and a network's been popped, you can never trust it. I don't care who the threat actor is, that Windows system is never going to work the same way ever, ever, ever again, the same way once it's decrypted. You would think, oh, well, there was files restored. It should work fine. No, it doesn't. You know, these things will act so wonky, do things completely unexpected. Yeah, you know, you've got to rebuild it, man. It's just the things that you got to rebuild it better. You know, if <sighs> you think of a hurricane, you know, we got to build, the, you know, you know, not to be tragic, but, you know, it's been enough time. But when the uh, dams broke in Louisiana, what, eight, ten years ago or so, Katrina, you know, yeah. they, they, you know, they came back and they built those dams ba back uh, better. And, you know, they have less chances of flooding and all this other stuff. So when you have damage, you got to repair and come back stronger because I will tell you. Once you've been compromised, I swear to you, these guys are communicating on the back channels and they're like, hey, we, you know, we popped ice cream shop six months ago. And we got $30,000 out of them. Just letting you know. I like it. All right. Hey, so really quick. It looks like we've got chat back on. I see that. So chat, like chat squad. Uh, let me know in chat, if you will. Would you like to keep it this way with me sharing a, bo a tiny box with, with chat so you can do your squad emotes? Or would you prefer we go back to the classic way where um, you've got chat up here right next to us, but no squad emotes? Let, let me know in chat while we continue talking with Eric Taylor of Barricade Cyber Solutions about talking to threat actors. Is there ever... Um, a language issue, right? Because a lot of these threat actors are operating out of Eastern Europe and, you know, English mm -hmm. may not be their first language. What kind of like language channel challenges have you encountered or do they have linguists on staff too because they're so good? Yeah, they do have, there is a language barrier. Uh, we have talked to threat actors where it's completely in Russian or German or um, in Iran. Um, there's, you know, so we'll have to use Google Translate. I ain't gonna lie. Now I'm like, what in the Sam F is this guy saying? Um, there's a lot of them will have really, really broken English though, but it's a, they've piece built it enough that you understand what they're trying to say. Yeah. Um, and some of them are just, they have really, really good English. Like, okay, Joe mama, where exactly are you located at? Because I'm a little curious now. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, someone just asked in chat, Jim Lund uh, asked, is there a potential breaking point on when a company ought to contact Barricade? And I'd, lo I'd love to expand that question a little bit. Um, 
first, wh- when when do companies typically call Barricade? Because you're a sponsor of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, and every morning I mention to people how easy it is to get in contact with you and have have a call before crap hits the fan. And I, I always use the fire metaphor. You know, you you don't want to find out. You don't want to like review and analyze and assess and do price shopping of fire departments when your house is on fire. You want them to come now and make the pain stop. And it's the same thing with businesses and, and incident response firms. Like you really should do this in advance, not when you're on fire. But I'm curious. First of all, like. How like when when do companies typically contact you? A and then B. Um, do you think it would make any difference if they contacted you at a different period? Like what would what would be the differences? So answer the first question first, and then the follow up, please. Yeah, it's kind of like what B said. You know, two hours into the incident, but um, yeah, typically <laughs> everybody typically calls us when it hits the fan. Okay. You know, they've got the ransomware note up on their page. You know, they're like crap what do we do what do we do you know they're googling for decryptors they're googling this they're googling that and you know their world is coming to a crashing end and they're calling everybody in their brother to try to figure out what in the world they do you mm-hmm. know it's it's never a good thing to be in that situation um when should somebody call us literally today we act we literally introduce a what's called an incident response retainer and you pretty much bring us on staff if you will but you have us on retainer you have crowdstrike as part of your solution and the moment you think something is going wonky in your network we react right of you know we even set up you know um incident response plans if for some reason your you, you get a high a high value threat like even casually joseph he'd probably laugh at it but i isolated the crap out of my workstation a couple of days ago because i was unpacking a zip file on my workstation instead of the vm like a moron and i had the best <laughs> will you please unisolate me so, I mean, we, we, yeah i was definitely the carl that morning that's for sure <laughs> that's but it's, too funny yeah yeah i mean if you're if you're honestly worried about the cybersecurity stance contest we have so many things that we can talk to you about and you know not everything has to be a dollar amount it's like oh well to talk to us you must pay ten thousand dollars yeah it's not that literally there's no paywall to schedule a call right schedule a call tell me your situation if there's a free recommendation i can give you great if not let's have a deeper conversation let's make your 2023 better and more secure than this year was i love it uh, Noose, I do see your question. We will get to it. Uh, but Jess, as a follow-up, wants to know around the language and stuff. Are certain threat actors, certain countries more difficult to deal with negotiation-wise? And she she offers an example, but, you know. No, I mean, it, it's typically the language barrier. So, you know, if they're able to, um, as long as I'm not using Google Translator for everything and trying to really read between the lines, it you know, we can muddle through it um, and be able to make it through it it's normally the google translator and then i've got to type out my stuff and put it into google translator to translate it back to their native language Uh and that's when things get because sometimes those yeah here like even in the united states right um we'll use the term bless your heart 
you know, that's a southern term that's a very bad thing, right? Yeah. Um, so in different countries, you have different dialects, you have different type of, you know, sayings and stuff like that. So it doesn't always translate well. So some conversations have gotten a little derailed because Google Translate did not help me out. <laughs> so taking a step back, Noose wanted to know, um, you know, this is pretty unique field from what I understand. I mean, it, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, I would say, you know, in, if just to kind of level set uh, and then uh, like if you can give give us your story on how you got to be where you are today. But it just <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? But just yeah. to level set, um, I, I want to point out really quickly so everybody understands like cybersecurity, right? Like, let's start at the top. Then you drill down. There's offensive and defensive. And, and then there's like, let's just call it offense and defense. Because as far as operations go, there's also like GRC and architecture and all this other stuff. But offense and defense. Then within defense, which is blue, there is, you know, security operations where you're watching. There's incident response where you do something when something bad is observed by the people watching. There's digital forensics, which is after everything's said and done, you're, you're doing this, this data clean thing that Eric mentioned earlier to analyze how bad was it? What, you know, is there anything lingering, whatever? Um, those, those are the things. Uh, and then Eric does probably all three of those, but what we're talking about is right there in the incident response. And then specifically around the threat of ransomware. So pretty, pretty far down the, the tree, if you will, um, when he says unique field, so I, I don't think he means cybersecurity in general, but like th down this rabbit hole. But all right, so Eric, you didn't wake up, you you, you didn't, you know, come out and the doctor slapped your butt and um, like at birth, and you were like, ah, digital yeah, forensics. Yeah, are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, digital forensics. No, yeah, I mean, obviously, you you, you kind of. So you, can you give the nickel tour on on how you got to be um, talking to a threat actor in Eastern Europe? Um, I mean, it is a very long story, and if I could plug some, you know, our friend Jack Scott, the two cyber chicks, I went through a whole history, kind of how I got here, but the, the whole, the go listen to that, literally FBI busting through my door, getting, you know, when I was a kid, you know, doing hacking and all the stuff, you know, it's a, a pretty in-depth stuff, but, you know. I'm pulling, I'm pulling up the podcast right now, so I'll have a link to that in a second. Um, but, you know, it's really a it's a love you know i wanted to make a difference i wanted to make an impact into businesses and um you know this is kind of where you know it took me a while because i really thought i wanted to be a pen tester um you know i was doing bug bounties and you know i was breaking stuff and i mean i'm pretty decent at it you know i'm no you know um jason hammocks i think his uh, last name is oh um, jason haddocks yeah haddocks yeah 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 i mean that dude's you know he, he's him stoke <laughs> you know the, um tim nom tom nom nom you know those guys are like ooh, you know but I, mean, I get by right um but the you know i just this is where i wanted to do i i wanted to hunt evil and this is just where i ended up and you know finding you know i guess i've always wanted to find those little easter eggs well, even when i was playing games and stuff like that so it kind of fits into that it's like what, what secret door, what could, little thing could you do to unlock this other thing? And it's kind of the same way as well, where it's like, how did this threat actor pivot? How did they originally get their initial uh, uh, foothold in? And, you know, was it by VPN? Because, you know, a lot of times firewalls will be the key indicator of how they potentially got in. 
uh, by hacking insecure uh, SSL VPNs, things of that nature. So it's um, it's very, very interesting, you know, looking for that threat intel, looking for those Easter eggs, and essentially just hunting evil. I like it. I like it. And, I, you know, you, you said something that resonates with me. Um, really quick, I'm just going to show on the, po- the, the broadcast really quick here. This is the two cyber chicks. The link to Eric's specific talk, this one right here, the URL is longer than the length of text that you can type into a YouTube chat comment, so I can't <laughs> drop it. But this is it right here. If you want to hear Eric's full story, um, go check that out. Plus, Erica and Jax are awesome uh, people, and you know I think they're great, so definitely check out their yeah, podcast. Yeah, I love me which, some Jack Scott. Yeah, I'm actually going to be a guest on their podcast in, in uh, February of 23. So, yay. Nice. Yeah. Um, so anyways, yeah. I, I, one thing that you said that I you know resonates with me is um, the interest in the, the passion to, to want to continue to know more. Right? Like, I feel like there's some people that work in cyber because it's just a job and that's what they do. But a lot of people who work in cyber, it's because they, they love it and they want more of it and, and just lean into it. And mm-hmm. um, it sounds like, you know, that's kind of the camp you're in. So I, I love yeah. that. I mean, if you're just in it for a paycheck, I mean, I've said this before, but it's, this business industry is going to chew you up and spit you out. You know, it, yeah. you'll last six months a year and you'll be gone because you'll be burned out and you just don't have that passion or the drive for it. Just please don't, please don't do it. Please do yourself, do your family a favor. Don't get into it. <laughs> uh, Cyber War asks, uh, made a good point about using a URL shortener. I, I am, um, I'm, I'm trying to host and stream and so it's it just if someone else could grab it and put it in a ul shortener that would be uh, much appreciated um i can probably get it for you quick go ahead yeah well no no it's just the link was too long uh aaron katz mm-hmm. had a you are a, a url had a, a question <laughs> here um has anyone well actually really quick justin gold had a pretty straightforward yes or no question when you're using mm-hmm. the Google Translator, do you do you tell them that so that you're at least qualifying why your responses are broken? If it gets too hairy, I will. Okay. But typically, I don't. Okay. Uh, so, fun question from Aaron: Has anyone ever? And I'm I'm reading this for the first time right out loud. Has anyone ever scheduled on your website a discovery call that turned into an interview and they got the job? <laughs> That's kind of funny. That's a good hacking technique. No, nobody is doing that, and I. I strongly recommend, please don't, you know, it, mm. seriously, just send it to info at barricadecyber.com or send it to me on LinkedIn. I'll, we'll take a look at it um, there, especially right now, the holidays, you know, threat actors definitely start kicking up and we got a ton of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so please, please be respectful. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people yeah. chiming in on the, uh, the, the fact, the obsession with cybersecurity. It is kind of funny if you're a male in cybersecurity, how many, males have beards like I, like i didn't grow a beard because i'm like oh it's like a infosec starter kit or, you know what i mean like exactly. oh, better, better get a beard but like a lot of people in cyber have beards i think it's because we work so long hours we're just like this is just one thing i'm just gonna let go i'm just gonna make sure it doesn't look like i'm smuggling chewbacca on my face and yeah. call it a day yeah that well yeah that probably is it yeah it's it's <laughs> been it's been long it's been long so I know you just mentioned the holidays. Do threat actors have seasons? I mean, is there, 
you know, are you like, oh, geez, you know, spring, like, you know, whatever, like spring's right around the corner. It's going to be wicked, wicked busy there. So like don't schedule family vacations or something like is there seasonal peaks and valleys with threat actors? Yeah, any, any sort of U.S. based holiday is going to be busy. OK, like Christmas where I'm gearing up, you know, I'm, I'm actually put, me and Casual Joseph was actually talking about a couple of tools today. Like we're trying to advance and like get some of those early detectors and we're talking about doing some additional canary files and things of that nature. Um, you know, Christmas is going to be crazy because you got to think about it. Christmas is on Sunday. People are going to start winding down the middle of next week and mm -hmm. they're going to be, you know, not paying as much attention. They'll be like, uh, whatever. My computer is running a little slow. Just whatever. I'm, I'll just use my phone to shop on Amazon for that last Christmas. But yeah. The weekend, the Christmas holiday, I will probably be just like last year, getting calls on Christmas Day. That stinks, man. Because now, the owner wanted to check in and like check their online store, you know, because they have at the SAP um, accounting package, and they want to see, you know, what kind of sales came in during the holidays and how their holiday numbers are running because they'll be running specials. Like, oh crap, we see this, and you know, we literally start getting calls. Mm. So. Yeah, not good, not good. <laughs> but I mean, if you can predict it, then go go on. What about um, you know? We see in the news that um, basically Russia, Ukraine, a lot of threat actor groups come out coming out of those areas, um, and there's a, there's a war going on over there. So did mm -hmm. did you notice the you know kind of the Russian Ukrainian conflict resulted in less activity from threat actors because their focus was elsewhere or like how, how did that impact what you were seeing from a threat actor uh activity perspective yeah we definitely seen massive drops in ransomware activities this year because or what we believe is um the the war between russia and Ukraine. and you know there was you know some smarter people than me that will say you know these these threat actors are a part of this country and i'm like how exactly are you determining this? You know, it, mm -hmm. I think it's all pure speculation until at least this year when Ukraine and France are, you know, or not uh, Ukraine and Russia are going to war. So I'm like, okay, these threat actors are clearly part of that ecosystem over there in some way, shape or form. So yeah, I, I will tend to believe that now, but until this, I, I believe it was all purely speculation. Mm -hmm. Um, but the the part the one thing that really struck it still strikes me, you know, like um, Lockbit, uh, Reevil, uh, some of these ransomware as a service, it's um, you know they still have operators all over the place, and the, for them to still be down even with global workers working for them, it's just like interesting to see all that. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, you know, so I, I want to, I do want to talk about Lockbit specifically, but I, but since we're talking about international and stuff like that, you saw it go down with the Russia-Ukrainian conflict and those actors there, but we're seeing um, the emergence of threat actor groups, you know, serious to be, you know, to be considered serious out of Cuba and out of Brazil. So... Uh, like, is that just, um, you know, whenever there's a void, something's going to fill it? Or are you seeing the access to ransomware as a as a business model 
um, as something that's getting more accessible to people. Because ransomware has been around for like five, like legitimately around for like five solid years. I know there was things before 2017, but WannaCry, in my opinion, WannaCry kind of like blew it up as like, okay, this is a real thing, you know? So, so I guess, what are your thoughts around how, you know, these other countries that, you know, weren't necessarily thought of as ransomware operators are coming online? Yeah, I think it really just, people have, um, you know, they're in a bad spot. I mean, take a look at Lapsus, take a look at um, even the creator of the original Re-Evil ransomware uh, payload was a kid that was bored and wanted to see what they could do. Um, Lapsus is the same way. They get a bunch of, you know, kids who are bored and want to see what they can do. And it's... I think it does become, you always see, I guess the best way to oppose it or do it is like a, what we call like a, a one man band, you know, IT startup firm, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, just not to pick on any of those folks if they're in the ch- uh, chat or listening, but, um, you know, you all got to start somewhere, but the, um, you go out, you help a couple businesses and you can start getting a reputation um and it just it starts growing and growing and growing and growing and growing until it becomes more about a viable business where you're helping multiple multiple families that are um businesses that are designed for that right Mm -hmm. and it's it's an evolutionary process to sum it up but hopefully that answered your question yeah it was good Uh, a fun question um Haircut Fish wants to know what your what your favorite APT name is. So there's one that we actually got turned on to not long ago, uh, which is Clockwork Spider. Clockwork. It, yeah, I, I hate spiders, but you know, the one that's actually called Clockwork Spider. It's a it's an old um, malware that was attacking bank uh, the banking industry. And they actually had two Trojans, one for Windows and one for Mac OS. Okay. Um, and they were back in 2014, 2017. Um, and they're believed to have come out of Eastern Europe and uh, Russia. But uh, we got some samples of stuff of uh, that earlier of because it looks like they're getting respun up. So we're getting some TTPs. Um, so shameless plug, go subscribe to Barricade Cyber because um, YouTube channel because I'm pretty sure we're going to be t- doing some DFIR work on that stuff. I like it. I, I've always liked, um, as, as much as they're deplorable, I've always liked Lazarus Group. Like, like I just think the name kind of sounds cool. Like, I think they're horrible, horrible people. But, um, you know, th- there's always been been, been that. I, I don't mind the... Um... So, you know, I'm always constantly being mindful of being politically correct right i I, you know try try to be i try to be inclusive i try not to be you know whatever and you know fire eyes naming convention i'm this is a slight side tangent but fire eyes naming convention it it flirts with like inappropriate right like basically all the russian ones are bears all the chinese ones are pandas right all the uh iranian ones are snakes and yeah, it looks like they're going to a furry party. Yeah, I thought the same thing a couple of times myself. Yeah, it's it's like, is that okay? And like, uh, one of them's kittens. I can't remember. Like, fuzzy kitten, charming kitten. Um, I forget what group that is. Maybe maybe that's Iran. 
maybe that's Iran because Muddy Water is Iranian and they're they're like a, f- a static kitten, I think. But anyways, uh, Pakistan might be snakes. It's just I don't know. I don't know if it's in- inappropriate or not. I guess it would be for the people who live in those countries or people who identify as Pakistani or Iranian or whatever to be like that's offensive. But um, you know that that was always interesting to me. Um, so another question that uh, Aaron wanted to ask, he just asked it differently. What are your thoughts about how threat actors call their victims clients? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, how, how do the victims feel about that? Do they just pay it no mind because, because they're like... Well, unfortunately, the, I mean, depending on the threat actor or depending on the client... Sometimes they are looped in on the conversations that are going back and forth between a threat actor and myself or somebody on the team. But most of the time they don't see that, right? It's, um, you know, but the whole fact that they call, you know, I'm doing my best not to curse. I'm doing my best. But it literally, let me come over to your house and steal all of your stuff, put it in the U-Haul, and then I'm going to sell it back to you, and I'm going to call this a business transaction. You know, it's not. It yeah, definitely I isn't don't... fair. It's 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 deplorable. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's next level WTF. Um, you know, you committed a criminal act, and you're calling them a client. It, it's not it's not good. So I I would literally go off. On people. Oh, and one other thing that really drives me nuts is when they call me their friend. Mm-hmm. It's okay, my friend. Shut the f up. No, I'm not yeah, your we're, friend. We're not friends today. So what? Yeah. Let me ask you. What um, what, like what kind of recommendations or what would you like to see happen if you could like wave a wand or whatever to to help? I obviously you're in like kind of a, a like there's like a perverse incentive that the more threat actor stuff happens the better barricade cyber solutions is so yes. you know put put that aside for a second i'm sure if all the cyber criminals went away you'd find something else that would make you happy to do for work so it wouldn't you you know you'd be able to feed your your, your family but if you could if you could do something or pass legislation or invent some type of technology or whatever you know what what would you do to help combat ransomware i would make it a requirement for any business to operate to go through cis controls mm-hmm. and if you when you renew your licenses you renew your tax tax certificates things of that nature you must cert, you must show certification that you have renewed and gone through and done what you need to I think CIS version 8 controls is an easy framework to adopt. May need some guidance, may need a barricade, may need, you know, another cybersecurity firm to help you get through it. But I trust me, you know, when you're looking at $80,000, $90,000 between, you know, getting us involved, paying the ransomware, your downtime, rebuilding your network, all this stuff implementing cis controls is like a fraction of that cost it really really is yeah it really is but i you know something because i'm like obviously all up in grc's space one thing that i do see people do and it's uh it's a very nuanced wrinkle 
but it's a wrinkle big enough that you can hide under the wrinkle if, if you get my metaphor so mm -hmm. like cis controls right there's 18 of them yep. yeah implement them and you're like look i got oh, i got all these controls and someone comes in and audits you they're like show me your asset inventory right show me show mm -hmm. me your your assets and you're like here you go and it's like okay this looks like an asset inventory everything's good but but there's mm -hmm. there's things missing from the asset inventory there's things that haven't been updated like shadow it like the the reality of your control implement like the controls aren't comprehensively implemented to provide comprehensive coverage so you know and this is a grc guy saying this right so like you have to be uh thorough with your controls because i'm telling you there's so many so many um situations where like you have controls you know you've got a great program but it's only covering 80 percent of your business and yeah okay like you know you're less likely to suffer you're you have less likelihood of suffering an incident and the impact will be less so the risk is lower that's fine but you're still you know you you're misrepresenting the security posture of the organization to management to external parties to insurance providers because you're you're declaring that you have these controls in place but you don't have them implemented throughout the organization and i see that everywhere i mean it's 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 very difficult to implement it uh comprehensively but we all do it we all lie to ourselves we all lie to each other that you know the controls are implemented so you know yeah, exactly uh, what just just said just bishop said and no self-acetation that is yeah the best thing oh you know when we we seen that whole train wreck you know we're gonna get on cmmc soapbox now but um the one thing I always point to is everybody, you know, in this 800-171 was complete self-acetation. And, you know, when they wanted to implement CMMC, which is literally 13 more controls, very easy hurdle for them to do if they were actually properly certified. And they're like, oh, this is going to take too much. You know, this is going to take too much. We can't do it. And they dumbed down the government security. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm, 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 I'll That's break good. a keyboard before I curse for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Guy Thompson says when we do assessments and ask, do you have and utilize an EDR solution? We have to follow up with it. And is it deployed on your endpoints? This is another great, uh, another great example, Guy Thompson. Thanks for bringing it up. And I, I'll offer another one just to kind of illustrate the point. Simply, do you have a firewall in place? Yes, absolutely. We bought a wicked expensive next gen firewall last year. It's right. It's right there in the rack, rack and stacked. Okay, check. On to the next thing. No one's asking, like, how is the ACLs configured? Have you tried to pass traffic through that shouldn't go through and verify that the controls mm -hmm. work? No, Be because the audit control asked if we had a firewall in place. Now, I know I'm being slightly simplified, but, you know, same with the EDR. Yeah, we pay for, um, you know, whatever. Sentinel-1, right? Here, here it is. We pay for it. Next question. But do you have it installed on all agents, including including endpoints in your environment that don't can't take a sentinel one like uh webcams right i mean those are endpoints they can be infected uh and you obviously don't have sentinel one on it so let's be clear about what our control implementation is yeah i mean you there is a concept that people really need to adopt and if you go through cis you'll understand this but ot and it and iot all need to be all segmented networks operational technology information technology and the internet of things ot it iot at the minimum 
needs to be your three VLANs. And I mean, your IoT, you know, is your management interface and stuff like that too, where, um, I mean, no, let me correct that. Four VLANs, your management interface needs to be on its own VLAN. I almost botched that one up. So you got OT, IT, IoT, management. That needs to be at least your minimum. Guest. If you're gonna well, yeah, if it. you're gonna if you're gonna do that, then yeah, that needs to be its own. You, but you get the idea. When you start implementing those four VLANs and starting to do that network segmentation across it, then you start getting okay. We need to do more network segmentation and stuff like that. So, yeah, absolutely. And an, another like I know we're kind of veering away from incident response, but the conversation is good, and chat doesn't seem to mind. Um, good luck, haircut fish. Uh, not good luck. Best wishes. I, there's no need for good luck. You you you're gonna crush it. There's no need for luck. Um, we're, and we're having a, you know, Chad, if you guys want us to, you know, go back to zeroing in on incident response, uh, by all means we will, but, um, I am, I am enjoying this. Another, another area that I see actually, okay, I'll, I'll bring it back to incident response, but another area I see, um, issue with is when you, uh, businesses acquire other businesses and you connect their networks together. Have you, have you ever, like, I've seen it firsthand issues happen from connecting those two networks together. Um, have you ever been called in on an IR event um, where they basically merged two networks and one of them was infected and it, it jumped? Yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, yes. I mean, I have. I'm just trying to figure out what I can. Okay, I know I can say now. Um, so, yeah, we had where there was six locations. Um the owner went and bought three companies and they were all um, what's called hub and spoke VPN together. So it was just one big massive, you know, hub and spoke network. So company B can see everything at all the companies, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a panopticon, right? Yep. So they just run a, uh, the threat actor literally got into one network, ran a full RFC spectrum scan on like all like 192.168.0 dot uh, slash 24 i think it was or whatever you know but they did the full um rfc 138 scan and they found all of their subnets and everything for all these other sites and took them all down that's That's something we don't see a lot of threat actors do but this particular threat actor that i'm talking about did and it was a mess so we actually had to break it um and you know rebuild all that stuff so it, it was that was a fun one because you know we were at one location that was pretty close to us geo, geographically and i'm starting to see communications from all these other locations and i'm like what the f is this mm-hmm. and you know because i mean we were brought in we're trying to we we don't get a whole lot of intel we don't get a lot of network diagrams so we just look at what's in front of us in that particular subnet, try to see where the key points of indica- uh, compromise were, and then try to dive backwards in time, right? So we're mm-hmm. literally, you know, rolling the wheels back, if you will. Um, and that's when we start uncovering and unraveling all this stuff and starting to see all this other traffic. And it, it, uh, a freaking four four day investigation literally turned into almost a month and a half because we had to pull forensics from all six different companies mm-hmm. and parse it all. It was a nightmare. Oh my God. That sounds awful. <laughs> That's not, I mean, it sounds like good work, but also oh, yeah. awful. 
Um, Aaron KG wanted to know how much an average incident response cost after a ransom, typically. Like, what, what, and I don't think he means like barricade cyber bill rate. I, th- I think he's yeah. trying to gauge how, how bad it is for business. Again, I mean, probably should call you <laughs> in advance, but yeah, I mean, just from, I would say some of the lower end tasks, I think we've had right around twenty twenty five thousand dollars by time you factor in the ransomware payment and they had on-site it people that were going to rebuild the network so i don't know what their true cost is for those particular cases and mm-hmm. we've seen cases that were well over two million dollars oh my god that just makes i mean i know if you're like whatever a billion dollar company two million dollars is fine but you know i, I equate it to like my home you know, getting a $2 million ransom on my home and being like, oh, like, <laughs> that's not going to be good. Um, let, me, let me ask you, we're kind of running out of time here, but like when you go on. Dude, site, I can go for the next three hours if you want. Let's, let's rock it. Well, I've got to give a talk later tonight to I know, uh, people in okay, California. Um, so I know other organizations do this, but like when you show up. I mean, what, what's the first thing you're doing? I mean, are you putting like Sysmon on everything or are you asking for a debrief? Like what, what, what are you doing when you, when you walk in? Yeah. So the first thing is we are, we're asking a debrief. What, what do they perceive actually happened? And then I'm starting to ask those networking devices, like what servers you have, what workstations you have, what switches you have, um, and your firewall and how are we going to get access to these devices so we can start pulling the logs because literally a lot of these devices will only capture logs for so long Mm -hmm. and then you know so the firewalls are especially that most of them don't you know carry logs more than a day right Mm -hmm. so um we don't want to wait around too long to get those firewall logs you know a lot of workstations don't have a lot of logs either and so it's crucial to get that that telemetry data uh forensic data off of those devices as quickly as possible so we we try to find out that it almost makes you wonder and this might be a really simple-minded observation but like has ransomware made your like if the if the if the attack is ransomware does that make your job easier because I feel like ransomware, like, you know, you can, like, not always, but you can attribute it so you know what to look for. The IOCs are well-known. They announce who they are. If it was just, like, espionage, you know, you're kind of looking for a needle in a stack of needles. With, with ransomware, I feel like it would be easier from a from a, from an incident response perspective. But, mm-hmm. you know, can you, can you comment on that? Yeah, a little bit. Lane says you can just leave. Everybody just ask me the questions and we'll just end at some point in time. <laughs> Oh, but, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm fine. I'm fine doing that too. But the, uh, yeah, a lot of ransomware do have, you know, their TTPs, you know, they, um, we'll just say, you know, Lockbit, they are known for RDP. They're known for, um, SSL VPN firewall exploits, things of that nature. So they have a pretty standard TTP of what they're going to go through. So, um, we, we try to at least be able to get, you know, that type of information so identifying the threat actors humanly uh, as fast as possible is always good you know joe belton's ice cream shop you know we went back and forth and just we had new threat actor and we literally named them random guys you know referring back to the world cup because that's who they were they were just a bunch of random guys just trying to make money i love it i'll look for that on miter attacks framework (laughs) yeah let's let's see if we get submitted 
Well, you need to make a logo, right? That's that's really the trick. Hey, I I've heard that you got an emote coming up, possible. So maybe it's a random guy's emote. Oh yeah, that's true. That is true. We did unlock a new emote today. The um, hacker man is in chat. All oh, right, uh, I, did I add hacker man? I think I did. Where is it? Yeah, there there he is, right there. Hold on. No, no, no. That's cyber snake eyes. I did not. Whoops. All right, hey. I'm going to add Hacker Man right now. I thought I did it earlier, but apparently I did not. I didn't hit save on it. So I'm going to do that right now and see if we can update this live on chat. I mean, uh, live on stream. But let me see what other questions are here. Um, News had one that I thought was interesting. He said, um, or she, whomever, we talked about what gets under your skin, Eric. So like we know what bothers you. What's your favorite part about doing IR? It's a great question considering it's a high stress job. Being able to bring them back from the edge, you know, um, and I think I've talked about this numerous times, but um, just for sake of argument, I, um, you know, people feel personally attacked when they've been hit with a ransomware. Um, we've had situations where uh, a client has started having heart palpitations. They start to feel like they're going to have a stroke because mm-hmm. of the stuff, you know, is, you know, you got to be a therapist a little bit to go through some of this stuff. Um, by no means am I claiming I'm a medical doctor or a therapist. Please don't assume that. But it's, uh, you know, going through that is definitely, you know, a little rewarding to when you're talking to them six months and a year later, you know, whether they, they stick with us, you know, as an MSSP afterwards or not, you know, I still try to follow up with them. Like, hey, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, things of that nature, and they are a much better spot. They they feel better about their cybersecurity stance and all that. So it's it's good knowing that hopefully that they learned something from this. It was an expensive thing. They come through it and they're better off for it. That 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 really does feel good. That you could be at least some part of that driving force to help them get there. I love that. Yeah. So it's it's like. Um... I mean, obviously it's a job and, and you're helping them and everything like that. But at the end of the day, it's like you're doing something kind of righteous uh, by helping an, helping an entity that basically can't help itself, right? I mean, they, they, that's why they're calling you. They don't have the ability to properly help themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. I, I do love that. Um, I do, you know, it's, it's, it's one reason I love cybersecurity too. I mean, it's very, very nuanced. It's very, very cool. It never gets boring. But it's also nice to protect people and, you know, occasionally get the call of, of you know, I don't know if you get these calls, but you get the call. Ah, base case dropping subs. Thanks, base. And everybody get num, 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 num on five uh, squads here. Um, you get the call from someone who's like, hey, like my, my, my aunt just called me and she got like basically fished for like eBay gift cards or something or, or Amazon mm-hmm. gift cards. And you're just like, oh, my God, you want like you're like. You feel terrible, right? That, that mm-hmm. you know, these people are getting taken advantage of. So, yeah, we do see that. I mean, we get calls all the time from, you know, I would say general consumers, you know, and they can't afford us by any means. You know, so we at least sit on the line with them for like 10, 15 minutes and, you know, kind of talk to them about their next steps and stuff like that and try to help them go potential you know what steps they need to do before trying to talk to the fbi and stuff like that because a lot of these cases they've had um bank transactions and other fraud that it's right up the wheelhouse so if 
you know, there's a couple of things to do before starting to get those folks engaged mm -hmm. um, and seeing if they will even engage into your case as well. Hmm. That's interesting. What, what about um, like, how do the insurance companies get involved? And I mean, have you had to go, have you had to stop work on a, on a job because the insurance company's like, nope, like we'll be using our own. Oh, there's yeah. hacker man. Nice. Yeah, we do see that there's, there are insurance companies that only allow what's called panel or companies who are on their panel, which is an approved list of people. Um, some insurance companies will allow you know, their panel and or their third party company, um, you know, to go through it. Um, some of them just allow third parties. It really depends on, you know, your cybersecurity uh, policy. So tip, here's another tip for you. If you have a cybersecurity policy and you don't know who to talk to, literally, I tell everybody this, schedule a call, get your policy. We will find who the who's on your panel and we'll help you get an IR plan set up with that company. There's something we extend all the time. It's like, you know, we literally have that IR retainer I spoke about before, mm -hmm. but if they don't know who who's on panel, who, who they can call when it hits a fan, if I can at least broker that conversation for these folks so that when it does hit the fan, it may not be barricade. It may be a crawl. It may be a mandate. It may be, you know, Joe Bolton's ice cream shop. I don't know, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, at least they know they don't have to search. Yeah. So, well, and that's really, you know, that's part of the value. And, you know, it's, it's just too bad that people, you know, and it's no fault of their own. It's human nature, but people don't really appreciate what, what you're doing. Or like when I say it on the morning, every morning, like, you know, we sharing your calendar isn't something we talked about. It's just something I started doing on the channel because I want people I want people to understand how a how easy it is and b like what the actual value is. I, again, that's why you, most people don't call you until they're staring at the ransom note trying to figure out mm -hmm. what to do next. Um, yeah. It's it's like anything else, right? It's not important enough until it becomes urgent. Yeah, it's it's not good to be calling the fire department when you start to see a fire in your house. You know, that's not the time to be making a plan. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, Casual Joseph said it. I wasn't going to mention it, but since he put it out there, I will. You know, we've had, um, you know, companies, a, a small company that's part of a bigger conglomerate of companies mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that big, bigger company from Japan, China, you know, Germany, whatever, will be like, yeah, no, we've got our own people and you can kick rocks. And doing that due diligence ahead of time is definitely good. So, or, you know, we are the... Uh, the second tier DFIR firm in in a case where the insurance company has their DFIR folks, the company is paying for us to be it because they're already messing things up. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th there's so many different ways that can handle this thing. Um, when a business just wants to get back up and running, they're going to spend whatever money needs to be done. So yeah, that's another you know truth in our industry is the the checkbook is wide open uh either either during an incident or more often right after the incident where they buy the firewall and they feel more you know feel safer but then they don't configure it correctly let's hear that or they just don't have they're like we just can't afford this and i'm like so what are exactly are you going to do yeah and they're like we're just going to shut our doors i'm like you're literally putting oh 10 God. 15 20 people in your company out of a job tomorrow that's messed up yeah i so mean it's... 
it sucks the threat actor hit them right so like you can't you can't um blame the company right you can't be like oh you 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 jerk you you terrible person by like firing your whole staff and closing your business down because it's the threat actor that that initiated them having to make that painful difficult decision I, well, unless you're a sociopath no one likes to fire people no one likes to take you know someone's income away um yeah. so yeah i mean there is a little bit of you know i don't want to throw shade but you know if there has been projects that you've put been putting off because you know of budget you know it's like well you know this new security feature we really should have you know implement you know with that security feature that new software you know potentially help stop some of this stuff and protect your business mm-hmm. you know so well i mean that, it's all conversations to have too right so well and that's part of I mean, that's part of our business. I mean, that's mm-hmm. part of our cybersecurity industry challenge is being able to convey value and get budget when, you know, if you do nothing the next day, it doesn't like, hey, nothing happened. Nothing happened today. So like, we didn't really need to spend that money. Like I chose not to spend the money and guess what? Today came and went and nothing bad happened. So I made a smart decision. But the problem is it's so short-sighted because as we see when something bad does happen, they end up spending much, much more money than they would have if they had spent it up front, which to me is always like laughable. It always cracks me up, like in a very morbid way. It always cracks me up that you can't get, you know, whatever, 1800 bucks for something, right? It, but then after an incident happens where that $1,800 may have, like, may have prevented that from happening you know they'll spend 25,000 like and it's like mm-hmm. you realize like like happily spend 25,000 like 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 where do i sign and it's like like and you never can't be like dude like if i told you 1800 like you can't play the i told you so cuz they're already they're yeah. already upset you you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah i mean it's just like i mean pick your geographical location that you currently live in but um you know you have flood insurance you have earthquake insurance you have um, um, hurricane insurance, things of that nature. You know, you buy those things for the what if. What if a hurricane comes through? What if an earthquake comes through? You know, uh, we're here in the low country, so every year we make sure we have our canned foods, we have bottles of wa- jugs of water. We, you know, we mm-hmm. go through our preparedness. You know, now that I mean, you were you've been here for a while, so you remember the. Uh, we don't normally get snow down here, but it was like five or six years ago that yeah. we had that big ice storm and everything. Yeah, that and was uh, how... that was like when uh, like Washington D.C. had like snow apocalypse. It was that that same time frame. Yeah, it was right around yeah, the holidays. None of us were, yeah, we, none of us were prepared for that stuff, and we were out of you know power for weeks. But now we know about it, so we're preparing for that stuff. So businesses got to do some the same thing as as well. You got to prepare your business for the what ifs and. Trust me, I will happily sit on a call with you for 30 minutes to an hour or several hours like we're doing right now, and I will just spitball ideas at you all day long. If it makes you a stronger business tomorrow, let's talk. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good uh, opportunity to point out, too, that tabletop exercises aren't exactly. just for mature information security programs. Any business should be doing them. And I point out doing them correctly because I've seen – 
I've seen tabletop exercises. But by the way, a tabletop exercise is basically sitting around and saying, okay, you come into work and there's a ransomware note on everybody's computer. What, like, what do you do? Right? Like, what, what, what do you do? And, and then the, whoever, like, the dungeon master is that's, you know, um, driving the tabletop exercise begins to throw injections. Like, an injection would be, for example, like, they're like, oh, well, First, we would call Barricade Cyber, and then they would come in, and then we'd start getting our backups uh, spun up so we could restore from backups. And then you're like, all right, well, you, you discover that your backups are also encrypted. And, oh, by the way, um, the threat actor just posted 10 records to Payspin um, and, and called the, the, the local media. So, mm-hmm. like, now, now what do you do? Like, you, you kind of in, introduce these kind of variables. Um yep. That's how you do it correctly. I've seen him done poorly where it's like, all right, you get ransomware. And then like the head IT guy is like, we restore from backups. Like this is the dumbest exercise ever. And you're like, oh my God, like you're, you're terrible. You're terrible. Mm -hmm. Like you're setting the tone for everybody that this is a waste of time. So like you've already, you've already conditioned everybody to be disengaged. Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, that's where you just put it on its head. So, you know. Uh, we'll take ransomware off the table because a lot of people will, you know, they'll use the ransomware as, you know, the de facto for the tabletops, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, definitely get out of that. So, you know, if you're a small company, most small companies have QuickBooks. And most of the time, it's on one workstation. And most of the time, it's not very bad. It's not backed up very well either. So mm-hmm. that's one scenario. I was like, what if you're counting PC, which sometimes is your front desk receptionist because you want her putting in your invoice or i shouldn't say she but you want that person putting in you know all these invoices in between you know the four or five calls you get per month or whatever you know trying to be multitasking you know but the ssd drive goes out in it you know what do you do oh well you know we restore for backup okay so when's the last time you tested your backup oh never um Okay, let's test that. How long did it take? Well, wow, that took four days just to download that. Mm-hmm. So how much was your real downtime by the time you calculated, you know, your revenue that you weren't able to input in your QuickBooks, you know, delays in getting billing, you know, your employees downtime, you know, all these things need to start factoring in. You can see how these dominoes just outside of ransomware, you know, take a power scenario, right? You know, like we just talked about, you know, with the the ice storm from a while back where, you know, you're out of power for three. Uh, say you're going to be out of power for two weeks. You have a gas powered big commercial generator out there that's going to last you for four days. How do you start siphoning power to make sure? At what point do you start turning off critical servers? You know, what's those step down processes, things of that nature, right? There, There's so many different tabletops that you can do. And that's part of disaster recovery and incident response. You have a disaster, mm-hmm. you're recovering from it, you're responding to it. You know, it all ties in. Yeah, and I'd also point out um, one other thing, and then um, Carrie had a question that I saw, and we'll we'll ask sure. that, and then we'll, we'll have to boogie. Um, another, like Aaron made the made the comment that I should make a course on how to do tabletop exercises. Like it probably is a, a, a valid idea. Another thing, if you're going to do tabletop exercises that you should definitely do, uh, and I steal this from um, Black Hills Information Security Backdoors and Breaches, but it's such a good injection. Um, 
Okay, so like you just said, like your hard drive goes in your QuickBooks computer. What, what do you do? Well, we're going to restore from backups. Okay, who's going to restore it? Well, um, Eric is, or Justin Gold is. He's the IT guy here. He's the only IT guy here. Okay, well, guess what? Justin Gold uh, just got called in to talk to the executive. So Justin Gold is in Vegas. Like, Justin Gold's not here anymore. He's in the bed with the flu. Yeah, like what? Like he what, can't uh, barely walk or concentrate. Yeah, or Justin's what? on a flight and we can't reach him. Like whatever it is, I don't care. But have anybody else in this organization tell me how to restore from backup? Any, I don't care who it is. And you can go pull documentation if you want. If you got to document it, which you don't, obviously. So, mm-hmm. like that's a really great injection, and I find that that actually is very useful for um, illuminating to people that. They are one deep in some areas that are pretty critical. So, can yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that particular part of IR. I mean, uh, tabletop exercises. No, that's good. I mean, by all means, I mean, it's really, really good wrap up. I like that. Yeah. So, Kerry just asked, he asked about a specific um, InfoSec Live has a specific differ course, and he wanted to know if that would be a good idea for him to take. But, uh, you know, I assume you don't know anything about that course, so you can't really evaluate it. But let me mm-hmm. ask you a, a bigger question that could help carry here. Um, what type of resources around Differ are out there that you would recommend somebody check out if they wanted to learn more about basic Differ, introduction to Differ? Uh, it's uh, Digital this... Forensics Incident Response, by the way, is the acronym it... I'm using. I mean, Sands Institute has a YouTube channel. Definitely check that out. Um, uh, 13 Cube has a one. We're like I said, we're going to be doing some of our own coming up in January and into February. Nice. So we're going to be put, we're going to be putting um, uh, just like Clockworks uh, Spider that I mentioned. You know, we're going to do a little bit of a dive on that. You know, how how do you find these threats and stuff like that? So. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of tools that are out there. A lot of them suck, but um, it's just got to figure out what tools are good for you. Um, I think Casley Joseph remind me or put it in the chat. I think actually he was talking about it the other day where Hack the Box has a differ as well, too. Yeah, Haiku Pro has uh, a forensics range. I know they're going to be adding more Hack the okay. Box. Uh, I, I don't know what... Um... I don't know what TriHackMe is doing. I know that they've started to have some defensive ones, but I don't know if it's more SOC analyst type stuff. Um, Kimberly is sharing that Katie Nichols. Yes. Katie Nichols, follow. Oh, my gosh. That woman is gold. Follow her. Suck in anything she's willing to uh, give out. It's 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 uh, no, that sounded a little dirty. Sorry, don't. Yeah, do that, that did. Um, I, I was I was sorry. actually gonna. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but Let yeah, consume consume all the knowledge she's willing to give. How about that? So she's got. She um, is gold. She is gold. I, I I recall her. Hey, I'm gonna drop this in um, chat. So she's uh, uh, a couple things like, you know, Sans page and all that. But she's got a medium blog post that um, looks like she posts a couple times a year. Actually, this kind of looks out of date, but you can start here and learn more about her. Um, It's, you know, it's pretty good. I also will recommend Carrie. uh, Oh, wait. Yeah. Here. There we go. This is her blog, uh, Katie Nichols. Yeah, go look her on LinkedIn. She, LinkedIn or Twitter. She's more, way more active on that. 
Yeah, I, I can't remember. Like, she did something not too long ago that, like, cued me into her, and I was like, oh, man, that's cool. Um, look at this, Carrie. So FAQs on getting started in Cyber Threat Intel, Cyber Threat Intel self-study plan. So these are all accessible to you. Um, this looks really good. I also want to point out, this is a bit way more advanced, but um, I love it. Um, oh, my God. It's, uh, I think it's... This is a YouTube. Oh, what? no, that's not right. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Now we're going to go full pew pew. I know. Hold on. Um, so, th and this does fall under um, it, uh, Differ and stuff. Dr. Josh Strohshine. So, Josh um, got his PhD from uh, Dakota State University. He went, um, he, he and I were in the same cohort. So, like, I, I know Josh very well. I think he's been on the, the channel a couple times great guy he actually uh he works at google now uh but he has he's one of the best instructors i've ever 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 seen like like so good so good that i had i didn't have to take i dropped a link in chat i didn't have to take um a course so i took malware analysis 748 at dakota state university josh was teaching it he and i were still in the phd program um in the phd you have to take 848 the 748 is a grad level course but he, i i like how he teaches so much that i ta'd for him just so i could be in his class and and and, and you know like li listen to him talk about malware analysis it was really cool but anyways this channel um he does great work he does live um, live analysis like on stream, so he'll like pull nice. something apart. You can see like unraveling a .NET form book dropper, installing, uh, getting a Remnux box built up, uh, how to use Burp's target tool. I guess I don't know. That's not really. That seems more offensive. But he's a defensive yeah, guy. Burp. Yeah, Burp is definitely in the pen testing side. Yeah. He's, so, anyways, go check him out. I. I I can't endorse Josh enough. He's he's a really really great instructor. Um, Explains things at the right level, gets into the right detail. Everything about it is good. All right, Eric, any final thoughts? We, we, we ran a little over, but that's okay. You said it was good. Chat chat seemed to like it. It looks like people are... Uh, what's demonetized base? I, I don't... I mean, I know what demonetized is, but I, I don't know what he's referring to. Maybe, maybe we, we swore or something, but... Um, oh, oh, the gun. The gun graphics. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So, uh, Eric, any any final thoughts? Anything you want to leave chat with? Ask yourself. This is what I always leave with everybody. Ask yourself, what part of your environment are you worried about or just don't understand? Whatever that is, give us a call. Let's talk about that. I love it. And yeah, guys, if you want, uh, just to you know, plug Eric's company because we do we do do it every morning, but. It's Barricade Cyber. This is barricadecyber.com. I'll drop a link in chat. You can uh, go there and like he said, like literally this is his calendar. You could literally just be like, doink. You could have a meeting with him tomorrow at 3.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. As simple as that. Okay. So go go to Barricade Cyber. If, if, you, if you care, like if anything we talked about today uh, scares you or you don't have a good answer to the questions Eric was answering, that's that's where you start. Right. And yep. you can use some of those questions we asked you if you are not a, like not a decision maker at your business. You just work there. You could ask, you know, your CISO or whoever and be like, hey, like, you know, 
what do we do if we get hit with ransomware? Like, you know, do do we have an option? Do we know where our most sensitive data is? Because there's a guy who could help us. You know, so I'll, I'll leave it with that. Everybody, thank you. I know it was a little bit of a different stream. Uh, this was really, um, you know, chicken soup for my soul. Uh, having a conversation with Eric, hanging out with you guys. The chat broke, and this actually seemed on brand right here for for today's <laughs> stream. Uh, so we we had a good one. I appreciate all of you. Uh, join us tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the daily cyber threat briefing. We do it every single weekday morning. Tomorrow is a weekday, so. Uh, we'll be we'll be knocking it out. It is a Friday, which is fantastic. Guys, thank you all very much. Be good. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you guys tomorrow at 8 a.m. Cheers, everybody.